This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Good morning, good morning, Professor Ward Scott here in the manly, manly Warthog Man Cave in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida in the Mellon Law Studio, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, protected by crime prevention 24-7, 365. Go get yourself a doorbell camera and relax. Okay. Well, well, well. What a day. Biden, four more years. I mean, I got to try to take a a big breath of air and sip a coffee to contemplate that. I mean, I, I, it's almost beyond, well, reasonable comprehension. But we'll cover that in a little bit. There's been a lot uh, going on since we slept. And uh, we did get a little bit of rain here. I'll cover that at the bottom of the hour. I guess it is because of the naked rain dance, but we did have enough rain at Windy Hill Farm to um, put water in the rain gauge, which we haven't had at all for a long time. Plantation market reporting in at 38 degrees. Well, that's what you get for going up there in the in the, in the farther north, Mark. Um, anyway, God bless him. He's a big supporter of the show, essential supporter of the show. Well, I got to pick up where I left off a little bit yesterday in Coach Hogg's locker room. With Deion Sanders, I mean, Mr. Prime Time, if you tuned in yesterday, you know that he had changed the culture of the University of Colorado Buffaloes, who were big losers and now sold out their spring practice. He featured the kickoff of the spring game by a 98-year-old woman who's been a diehard fan of the Colorado Buffaloes all these years. And to her surprise, he came and got her and brought her out to the field, and she kicked the ball off, which dribbled a couple yards off the tee, but it was a big thrill for her. So he is the real deal when it comes to marketing and when it comes to attracting winners. And I've got to tell you right now, the way he behaves makes the point that I've been making about bureaucratic, how shall I say, responsibility. If you're elected the sheriff, you can make the team the way you'd like the team, performing within the apparatus that you work within. If you're elected the president of the college, you arrange the team the way you want the team working within the apparatus you're giving to work with. 
apparatus, I mean the bureaucratic structure. If you're elected the governor of the state of Florida, you may change out, as we say, every single trustee and put in the ones you want. This is the way it works. And to make this point, after this spring game, at least 16 of the former Colorado players said they were going to the transfer portal. And it didn't bother Dion, Mr. Prime, one bit. According to the college football article, he's quoted as saying, you all know, we're going to move on from some of the team members and we're going to reload. He said this right after they concluded the spring game. And then he went further. Further is for abstract distance. Farther is for measurable distance. He said, we've got to get some kids we really identify with. So this process is going to be quick. It's going to be fast. But we're going to get it done. I don't know why this makes me think of the reportage I've been doing on the Washington County Sheriff's Office here lately. You figure it out. Now, Sanders, prime time, is going to bring in dozens of transfer players. He's going to have a roster overhaul after the spring game. And it was not, he says, an easy decision. Well, one of the guys who left, but I've Going to be able to do it before the portal closes. So Dion's being fair with those. If you want to leave the team, you got an opportunity to leave the team. But basically what he's saying, you can't play for me. I've got to find somebody who can play for me. Now, you may go play for somebody else and be great. The running back, Dion Smith, was Colorado University's leading rusher last year. He rushed 83 times for 393 yards. Well, he ain't good enough for Dion. Dion hit Sanders has got 42 new players coming in. 42 out of 85. That's half the team is going to be brand new. He's got 21 of those 42, which is half of the half, coming from other four-year colleges. And they're headed his way. When it's all said and done, the Colorado Buffaloes recruiting class of 29 transfers for 2023 
ranks number one nationally and is the biggest in the nation according to 247 Sports. And Dion says that the team we're playing with now, he's talking about that spring game, is not the team that we're going to be playing with in Texas the first game. They opened their season with TCU September 2nd. And I will make a prediction that that game will be one of the most heavily watched games in the nation. This all being reported in USA Today. Well, well, well. That's quite something, isn't it? But my point is, it's a bureaucratic reorganization to build the best team that Deion Sanders wants. If you don't like what Deion Sanders does, you can replace him. the proper way. You don't like what the sheriff does. Rather than getting the state attorney involved, and from what we can tell, criminalize a civil situation, you can reelect a new sheriff. But it's clear that there's some attempt to manipulate the media in the case of the sheriff. And in the case of Sanders, he knows how to manipulate the media before the media manipulates him. That's where you want to be. Obama knows it. Obama made it a profession to manipulate the media. And nothing's changed. I wanted to read that into the record into the students' class today. You're going to go out and go to work for somebody? Remember, you're working for that somebody who's responsible for building a winning team. That somebody... Is where the buck stops. The corporation doesn't like that person. And it works within the bureaucratic structure. They replace the person. We've got a couple examples of that in the news today. And it really doesn't have to be, quote unquote, fair from the point of view of the person replaced. It just has to be done according to mutually understood bureaucratic structure. Affordable housing in the city of Gainesville. Have you not heard ad nauseum Discussions about affordable housing, affordable this, affordable that, affordable housing. 
of all places for this to be taking, this to be occurring, AP has that article about Portland, Oregon. About, this is why I caught my eye, mobile home parks. Now, let me talk to you a moment about mobile homes in Florida. Go down around Leesburg. Go down around St. Cloud. Go out here to some of these places. And you'll find mobile home parks. They have been dotting the landscape of Florida forever. Incredibly affordable. Your ownership, you own the trailer, someone else owned the land, and instead of renting or building apartments, he rented out lots for mobile homes. Well, in Portland, Oregon, in a mobile home park south of Seattle, Washington, around that area, there was a Latino mobile home community that was going to be bulldozed to make way for an Amazon warehouse. So they put together their heads, the Latino community, and decided to form a cooperative and buy their mobile home park in Lakewood, Washington. And they secured loans from a nonprofit and they bought the property that their mobile home sat on for $5.25 million. And guess what's happened since they all now, as a cooperative, own it. They don't give rent to a landlord. They're not going to be replaced by an Amazon warehouse unless they decide to do that. So they've all pitched in. Formed co-op board members and a board. People are painting, remodeling, working, working on roofs. Because a lot of these have cabanas attached to them. The mobile home park Really and truly, as an old country buddy of mine used to say, I used to always joke, well, if it's real, isn't it true? And if it's true, isn't it real? I love to hear him say it, and I, I say it myself. Really and truly, the mobile home park is 
one of the first and last affordable housing options, I would suggest, as would the authors of the AP article and as would the owners of of this community, one of the last affordable housing options for people with low or fixed incomes. And they love them. They build a community. They build a community house, a rec center. They have shuffleboard, whatever it is that floats their boat. My grandparents lived in one when they retired and came to Florida. Fully, fully familiar with this. They are making a go of this. And they are right now having a 100% track record of success. Now, nearly a third of mobile home parks in the U.S. have been bought by investment banks and hedge funds and deep-pocketed investors. It's been a reliable cash flow. They could raise the rents because the people had nowhere else to go. And these organizations, these investment banks and the like, traded on the desperation of these people because they didn't have the deep pockets. There's no place they could take their home if they couldn't afford the increasing rents. Now, the case is, rarely do the mobile home park residents own the land beneath the home they own. So if a landlord raises rents, the residents can be evicted or forced to sell their home. This happened. Ed Dix, I think, was the realtor who did it. So a mobile home park, if I recall correctly, on 23rd, Northwest 23rd, if I remember all these names right. Apologize if I don't. Made the papers. It's a big brouhaha. These people had nowhere to go. So they're really facing homelessness if they can't hang on to the mobile home because the land underneath it is sold out. Now, this is a story that I thought was interesting because I have never heard the talking heads at the city of Gainesville even address this. You know, mobile homes now are not cheap even. They're not any longer called mobile homes. They're called manufactured housing. I'm talking about the real mobile home that's got tires. So 
The co-op ownership that we're talking about here is not an ownership for profit. It's an ownership, first of all, to pay off that mortgage they borrowed to buy the land underneath the mobile homes. And now these people look after one another. Child support. Um, People who get fired from their jobs for whatever reason. According to the AP article, in the United States, there are roughly 43 million mobile home communities that are home to 22 million people. But only about 1,000 are resident-owned. So, zoning regulations and that sort of business has been threatening the existence of these communities. And I would suggest here on the Ward Scott Files that that be rethought. That zoning take into consideration combining the ownership of the mobile home with the ownership of the land. So this is not an easy thing to do because the business world and the political world is not set up to help facilitate this. There are not a lot of grants out there to help residents purchase their parks. There's not a lot of federal funding out there to help residents purchase their parks. The quotes that are coming up in the article you've heard before. It is so hard to find affordable housing when you're low income. But to be able to own your own roof over your own head is empowering. If it's 600 square feet, this one resident says, it's a castle to me. I put that in the local section of the discussion today because I think there's something here that, uh, yeah, Jim Murphy, they have been called trailers. And as I say, the, the, it's been morphed into now manufactured homes. But uh, it's the concept of co-op ownership of the community. So I wanted to pass that along to you. you those of you who pay attention to government, who show up at these meetings, I don't know. I haven't gone out and done a, an analysis of where the mobile homes communities are now around here. Might sort of do that in some way or another. The other story I want to share with you is a local story, even though it takes place in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
<clears throat> now, it would be quite sensible for you to ask the question, why does a story about Minneapolis, Minnesota, what does it have to do with Putnam County? Now, let's pause for a moment and see if any of you students have been watching the show for a long time. Remember what happened, what we covered, what we investigated quite a few years back now in Putnam County when Obama was the president. Thank you, Michael Lucas. Does anyone recall the story that we covered in pretty good depth and very interesting story several years back about Putnam County? And if you can, perhaps you can put, connect these dots and figure out where I'm going with this story about Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I think what I'll do is I'll save that story till after the break and create what we call here a a cliffhanger. You know, it's an old trick to be continued or tune in tomorrow. Um, Yeah, and Plantation Mark is coming up with some taxes on trailers in Virginia run by the Department of Motor Vehicles, double and triple wides by the county. Interesting. So it, there is a there is a, a, a world of this type of affordable housing out there. And the trick is to keep it affordable and not have it go the way of real estate to be sold for the highest bidder who may transform overnight housing into warehouses. Come on, of all things, for Amazon. You know, this is the reason Bed Bath & Beyond is going out of business. They never anticipated and reloaded their marketing strategy around the Internet. God, I love that Bed Bath & Beyond store. You could go into it, and everything under the sun was there. And you got coupons, and you had everything. It was marvelous. But it went the way of the dinosaur. It's not something that can be done by delivering to your home. So we'll uh, be back. I'm going to create this cliffhanger. I'm going to watch the chat line, see if anybody remembers what the connection is between Putnam County a few years back and Minneapolis, Minnesota today. And that student is an A student. Believe me. 
Be right back on the Ward Scott Files with Ward's Weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. The warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to the Ward Scott Files with Professor Warthog here in the Warthog Manly Man Cave. With Ward's weather report brought to you by Lewis Oil. Great sponsor. Yes, it is. Fossil fuel, Chevron. Nothing wrong with that. Well, 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 you know, we did get some rain here. A small rain down can rain. That's what we had. Um, and that's from a poem, first poem in English language called Western Wind. Western wind, when wilt thou blow? So that the small rain down can rain. And that was talking about water that would be coming off of the Gulf Stream 
up toward England. And that's how the poet knew spring was coming, was that it would begin to rain. And the rain initially would be small, small droplets. Western wind, when wilt thou blow? That's alliteration. And it's addressing one of the great mysteries of life, the wind. The wind, the wind, everything is carried. Climate change, come on, dudes, the wind. And so we have, possibly today here again, uh, more rain if the wind will bring the right configurations to us. And, of course, you saw yours truly. Try to address that with the naked rain dance. Oh my golly. The fool in King Lear couldn't behave any worse than I did, but that fool in King Lear was the most important fool in all of Shakespeare's dramas. The fool knew the truth. The wise people didn't. That's the paradox in King Lear. Well, That's my weather for today. Maybe we will have a small rain down that can rain. Well, well, well. I've got to give an A plus to Plantation Mark, who is here in the chat as Margaret Cook, who is really Mark Cook, Plantation Mark. He remembers the story of the illegal Middle Eastern immigrants, I'm reading his post, that came through Putnam County by the Obama administration. Let me go through those dots for you, and and this will be familiar to, to Mark, who remembers this. As Ted Yoho says, who is our regular Wednesday guest, and we really appreciate that, Obama set out, and he said it, to fundamentally, fundamentally change America. Well, what has happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota, is a suggestion that his project is working. So what is the connection between Putnam County and Minneapolis and Minnesota? Well, Minneapolis last Thursday became in case you missed this, the first major American city to permit unfettered broadcast of the Muslim call to prayer. Allowing that prayer to be heard over speakers five times a day Year-round. Are you? Do you understand that? 
Minneapolis City Council voted unanimously to amend the city's noise ordinance, which had prevented some morning and evening calls at certain times of the year because they occurred at times of the day when tighter noise restrictions are in place. And Jahalani Hussein, who is the executive director of the Minnesota chapter of the Council on American Islamic Relations, said after the vote, the Constitution doesn't sleep at night. Uh, this chair of this chapter said that by this unanimous action by the Minneapolis City Council, Minneapolis showed the world that a nation founded on freedom of religion makes good on its promise. Three of the city council members are Muslim. Now, technically, legally, the Islamic executive director, Mr. Hussein, is correct. Now, I started out the show saying if you have the power and you're working within the bureaucratic structure, you can make the changes you want to make. Now, this is 2023. Perhaps Plantation Mark can give me the date when the story was brought to my attention about Putnam County. I know it was in the first Obama, pretty sure it was in the first Obama four years. And I received a kind of We'll call it a tip, but I received from a worker a perplexing um, question I couldn't answer. He said, uh, you know, he says, I work on the grounds of the religious commune there outside of Palatka. I'm not going to get into which one it is. And, you know, it's some strange things happening here. He says, in the middle of the night, there'll be eight or nine buses. I looked up a bus, I think, holds 80 people. Come down 301. Turn and come into this 2011 
uh, a, a plantation mark thinks. About right, probably. I come, they come down 301 and come into the through the gates of the religious property here. Which was a Christian property. But it had on it three-phase electricity and a big room and it had the call to prayer several times a day. And there was only one person on the grounds, this gentleman said, who worked who spoke English, who wrote him the checks for the work he did. And he said in the morning after these buses unloaded, by the way, it was all males, all Middle Eastern males who got off these buses. And they went into this big building in their Middle East clothing and came out the other side of the building in Western clothing And in the morning, he said, you would have thought it was the Florida Gator football game over. Cars arrive and take these people. We don't know where. Well, I got to looking into this and contacted the Putnam County Sheriff. Knew nothing about it. Contacted the Alonso County Sheriff. Knew nothing about it. Went to my contacts to the Federal Marshal Service. Contacted Homeland Security. Knew nothing about it. I remember there were several interviews done of the workmen. Describing great detail what happened. Well, with time and research, what was happening is Obama fundamentally changing America. These buses were coming in in the belly of these big planes, as I saw a report on this, and landing in Jacksonville. And coming out of these planes and roaring away. All Middle East males. Why would a Christian religious campground, we research this, allow this? For money. They were paid quite handsomely. Quite handsomely. To allow this to occur. And why couldn't Homeland Security Go on that property because religious property enjoys special legal protections. You could fly drones over it. You could camp out secret observers. But you couldn't see them on the grounds, unless you knew the workers who worked on the grounds. 
Where did these cars go? Off to these cities, a main destination of which was, you guessed it, Minneapolis, Minnesota. You remember the group of ladies in Congress, Tlaib and these people? Where they come from? When I shared this information with a Muslim friend of mine, he made no qualms about it. He said, we're not going to change America with weapons. We're going to change America from inside America using the Constitution. And eventually we will have a very strong influence in Congress. Well, it's happening. It's happening. My point today is if you want to have a goal that you stick to and you know how the system works, you can actually get the city council of Minnesota to become the first major American city to permit the call to prayer five times a day using the law. Now, was there law being abused? Were immigration policies being abused? When those buses pull onto that campground? Is the immigration policy being abused? When people pour across the border? Unfettered? Has it gotten more flagrant? The fundamental transformation of America? From the time 2011 when Obama brought the buses to 2023 when there's nobody, no wall, no immigration policy being adhered to, How long will it take for that to work its way through the system? Well, some of it you see happening right now. Voting, schooling, medical care. You know, think about it. 
fundamentally change America. It's um, quite a story, isn't it? It's quite a story. And I'll let you decide whether it is unifying the country or dividing the country. According to John F. Early, my research shows that the Biden administration has proposed a new directive on how U.S. agencies collect and publish data on race and ethnicity, how races are defined, differentiated, and what Biden is doing, according to Mr. Early, is his policies are increasing the primary racial groups for data collection to seven from five. Now, think about how all these dots are connected. According to the new proposal from Biden, the new data collection mechanism, it's all bureaucratic structures, will split the current category of white into two, white for people with European ancestry. And you ready for this? Another called Middle East and North Africa. An acronym is MENA, M-E-N-A. You wouldn't know this, would you? Second, the new proposal will redefine Hispanic, which is currently an independent independent ethnic classification. But that's going to be subdivided into seven races, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, American Indian, and native Hawaiian and MENA. So when you fill out these race forms and you wonder what in the world they're asking me that for, because the government officials under Biden fundamentally transforming America are going to use it to determine eligibility for benefits. Huh? Come on. You might as well add that that's a voting block. And the bureaucracy is going to be used under this proposal to control, reward, and punish the population by racial classification. Just when you would want race to go away to get beyond. And you students who are listening to this, you know, only Professor Warthog can present this. 
class to you today. You won't find this anywhere else in America. No one else has the ability that I've seen to do what I'm doing right now for you. I don't mean that in some, doesn't get me another sandwich. I'm just saying that. Where do you go to get information? So this proposal, this initiative, is going to create more categories by which people can be divided, separated, discriminated against, or even given special favors. Mr. Early was the assistant commissioner at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Well, that's four more years of Biden. Four more years of Biden would produce more, I'm assuming, of what we just went through. And he's going to run using the same technique he did when he got elected. He's not going to make any appearances. He's not going to answer any questions. He's going to produce slick media presentations. And meanwhile, sit back and wait for Trump to destroy any viable candidate that might come up against him besides other than himself, Trump. The most recent statement by Trump, Trump has said Florida's a dump. And he released links to news reports and left-leaning studies that claimed that Florida was unaffordable and unsafe. He's doing this to, you know, kneecap Santos. But he, meanwhile, lives in Florida. If Florida is a dump, why is he here still? The opponents of what he's doing say. DeSantis, here's just a few things that are DeSantis has done since he became governor. By the way, Andrew Gillum is moving towards probably a four-year prison term on trial right now as we speak. DeSantis has expanded school choice. He's cut billions of dollars in taxes. He's reopened early from the COVID-19 pandemic. Florida has gained a net 318,855 people 
from July 2021 to July 2022. But Trump is busy calling Florida a dump. Meanwhile, Biden just has to sit by quietly and let all that apparatus that's been put in place continue to work toward fundamentally changing America. With the help, of course, of the media. I'm just looking at the chat line here before we taper off for today. Tomorrow we'll be looking see uh, Ted Yoho and talk with him and uh, hope that you have um, some questions and things for us to talk about with you. And we'll try to get those addressed. Don't think I'm going to need to do the naked rain dance anymore. Hopefully, hopefully it will begin to listen to me, hear me, maybe make a fundamental change in the weather. Fundamental change in climate control by the naked rain dance. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, come on. Everything's got a place. Imagine climate control with the naked rain dance. Hey, listen, have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.